Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, how's it going, eh? It's Wednesday, so that means it's What You've Been Playing Wednesday. And this is a special weekly episode where a bunch of us content creators collaborate and tell you what we've been playing. And on this episode are Mr. Rao Gaming Rants and Reviews, The Meeple Dungeon, Board on the Air, The Table Chop Bellhop, Meeple and the Moose, The Bridge City Board Gamers Community, and Cardboard Conjecture. And please take the time to check out the show notes for the links to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. And I have to say it, enjoy! Hey folks, Ryan here from Mr. Rouse Gaming Rants and Reviews, and welcome to another week of What You've Been Playing Wednesday, where this week I'll be chatting about a little game called Meadow, designed by Clemens Kalicki, published in 2021 by Rebel Studio, and illustrated, oh so lovely, illustrated by Carolina Kyak. In Meadow, players are wanderers observing nature, home to the most interesting stories, where animals and plants are the main actors. Equipped with a map, players wander a picturesque landscape, searching for inspiration among breathtaking sights. They are led by their passion for discovering the mysteries of nature and by their desire to become acclaimed as the most skilled observer. The title will be won by the person who earns the most points from observing types of animals, plants, and landscapes, as well as from some souvenirs gathered during their trip. The competition continues at the campfire where players race to fulfill their adventurer's goals. Oh boy, Meadow. This game really took me by surprise this year. I'm going to put it into the category of one of the most enjoyable experiences um, along the same lines as Parks from Keymaster Games and Wingspan from Stonemaier Games. In the fact that Meadow is very beautifully illustrated and I could get lost in the artwork alone for, 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 for a very long time. What you're doing in Meadow is that is actually a card drafting, set collecting type of game where the drafting mechanic is that you have these little tokens that are numbered one through four and a wild card one. And you slot these along the edge of this one uh, board where all of the cards are laid out. And so if I put it on the left edge and I have the number two, I have to count in two spots from that and I get to draft that card into my hand. And then at the same time, I also get to play a card. And what you're trying to do is you're building out this landscape of a tableau of cards that are ever so beautifully illustrated. And what you're trying to do is just kind of match up some symbols. Every card has got some sort of requirement to play, meaning that you have to have, you have to be able to see certain symbols in your tableau already in order to play certain cards down. Sounds easy enough and actually is pretty, it actually is pretty easy. Um, what you're really kind of doing is you're just laying out all these cards 
and trying to have the most money. Every card value, every card, well, most of the cards, not the really start, the starting basic cards, but every card has some point values in it. One points, two points, all the way up to some of them have even four points um, on them. And yeah, you're going to do this over and over again for some rounds. And that is kind of one of my things that I don't like about this game is that I feel like this game lasts about one round um, too long. Um, in our experiences with the two and three player games that go about six rounds, we kind of feel like our journey is kind of, you know, wound up or winding up after the fifth round. And so, and after that, after that fifth round, it feels like I don't have any cards in hand anymore. Um, I'm just trying to draft a card that I can try to maybe get down on my, uh, on that exact same turn. So it overstays its welcome, I think by about one, by one too many rounds. Um, but don't let that take away from that. This is a great game. Like the style of game that they, that they've accomplished here is really quite something remarkable. It is not overly complex. There can be times where it leads to some analysis paralysis, where you're just kind of overwhelmed by the sheer amount of cards that are in this, uh, in this drafting area. And you're just trying to find that one card. You're just trying to find that one card that will really fit into my tableau ever so beautifully. And that's the thing too, that there are these goals out on the campfire board that, hey, we need to be able to have these two symbols. And if I have those two symbols in my tableau, I can place a point marker and get some bonus points at the end of the game. But here's the thing. Not many of those symbols may appear throughout the course of the game. So kind of is a little bit lucky on that end for the at least the at least those goals. But overall, Meadow is a very, very enjoyable um, experience. I'm gonna put it in that same category as parks and wingspan, both in production value and in their gameplay. This is very, very good. We don't ever turn on a play of it nowadays. Um, my seven-year-old has been really getting into this game. He's been able liking to try to find the matches. He loves pick, uh, observing all the pictures of all the different bugs and everything like that are on some of the cards. So yeah, Meadow, fantastic game. It's a high recommendation from me. Um, it, it's a game that I don't even care if I win or lose. I just got to experience something that was beautiful it's, it's that i'm gonna say that over and over again that this game is just pure beauty on the table i think that people really will enjoy this all sorts of gamers are like it's kind of like i didn't like wingspan at first i didn't think that i was going to be drawn to wingspan now it's one of my favorite games of all time and this can easily slide into one of those slots um as well as you're going a lot of people are going to be very very surprised by what meadow has to offer at, 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 at your gaming tables and that's what i've been playing lately be sure to check out my full overview thoughts and review of meadow over on my youtube channel just search up mr rouse gaming rants and reviews and if also if you'd like follow my gaming adventures on facebook twitter and instagram just search up at Mr. Rao Gaming. That's M-I-S-T-A-R-A-U Gaming. Enjoy the rest of what you've been playing Wednesday, folks.
Hello, everybody. It's Rob and Anna Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. And we are back again recording for the What's Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. We have two games to talk about this week. What's the first game, Anna Marie? The first game we're going to talk about is Mantis Falls, uh, designed by Adrian Carryhard, art by Julianne Beerworth, and published by Distant Rabbit Games. Yes, Mantis Falls, a game of trust. This game is an interesting game. We backed this on Kickstarter ages ago, um, and it finally delivered uh, about six weeks ago or so, and we've played it a bunch. And this one is super cool. It's a three-player hidden role game. Yeah, I always thought that was so neat because, yeah, I think it's you can play two or three, and it uh, there's not many games, there aren't many games that stop at three players. No. And this one knows that you don't it, it's best at three like you don't go yeah, more than it, that it's kind of hard to believe right yeah that, like it just seems like strange number for a hidden role game and thematically this one it, what drew us in was the, was that it was a hidden role game because i really enjoy those yeah but the theme about it um is really really interesting where you are playing as characters in a mob ruled town called mantis falls and you have witnessed something horrible some sort of murder or you don't know (laughs) you just know something you weren't supposed to see and you have the mob after you and they're trying to uh, take you out before you can leave town and in this game you're dealt your role so you're either dealt the role of being just a witness like just someone who was in the wrong place at the wrong time or you are dealt possibly a card of being an assassin so there's always one more card like if the two of us were playing and that's the other thing you can play this as two player and we have and you can uh, so if but if you're playing with three players you're there's going to be three witness cards and one assassin card in the deck and you're all going to get dealt uh, a character a, uh, not a, a character a role and you are going to keep that role a secret until you don't because you could <laughs> potentially all be witnesses you could. And you could and all be you on gotta, the same side. you got to figure out whether or not you're going to trust each other and you've got to plot your way uh, moving through the town. You're, you're literally walking through the streets. Yeah. And you're you're walking through like darker and progressively darker and progressively more dangerous streets as you go. And the, the whole point is just to get from the beginning to the end. Yeah. Basically the outskirts, you kind of have a person waiting for you um, at this car. And if you're, you're just trying to make it to that car so you could escape town. Unless you're not, unless you're the assassin right. and you're trying to thwart these people from making it. And you've got all these cards to use and all these items to use. And it's it's very, very interesting. And, and it works so well. Oh, it's on, so well thought out. On a, on a, I just never would have thought that a three-player role, hidden role game would work. And this does. It oh, works yeah. really, really well. It also comes with a... a uh, its own soundtrack yeah. on their website. And it's so got this cool. wicked noir music that you can listen to. Super, super cool. Um, and that being said, we reviewed this game in full on episode 32 of the Meeple Dungeon podcast uh, back in uh, late April. <clears throat> so if you want to hear our entire thoughts on the game, yeah. you can go check that out, episode 32. Um, but we do have one more game that we're going to quickly chat about. And that game is Ark. Nova and that's mm-hmm. the new hotness that everybody has been uh, you know eyeing up and hopefully getting to their tables and then and hopefully arriving at their door at least and ours arrived that uh, we pre-ordered um, it arrived a couple days ago yeah and we jumped right in to playing it 
and we are going to be reviewing Arc Nova on our next episode, which will be episode 34. And uh, we can just tell you up front that most of the hype seems to be pretty bang on. Yeah. And it's just cool. You're building a zoo. And it's that simple. You're building a zoo. Um, and it's conservation and it, efforts. Yeah. And it plays a lot uh, similar to terraforming Mars. It's got yeah. a lot of the similar things going on. Um, is it better than terraforming Mars? You'll have to check out episode 34 of the Maple Dungeon podcast to find out. But uh, I think that's it for this week. So we're going to run. Uh, we'll see you next week. Cheers. See ya. Hi, I'm David. And I'm Jordan. And we are Born in the Air, a weekly radio show in Saskatoon. And this is What Have You Been Playing? Tonight on the show, or for our segment, we are going to be talking about Raiders of the North Sea. This is a game by Shem Phillips, one of his original three trilogy, uh, the North series. He Then he did the West series, and coming soon is the South series, uh, presently on Kickstarter. So, we got... Our first experience with Shem with Raiders of the North Sea. Uh, one of my favorite games, and we brought it out on the weekend. Yeah, it, it's my favorite of his, personally. Yeah. Uh, so, the main thing you're doing in the game is you're placing a worker, retrieving a worker. Yes. Getting an action both both when you place it and when you retrieve it. There's three different color workers. You get the other two colors later on in the game as you raid the coast of England, probably. Because yeah, you're Vikings. It, I would think it's England. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, simple mechanics. As, as Jordan said, you put one worker out. You take an action. You pick a worker up. You take that action. Uh, the trick to this one is there is a timing mechanic to it in that you can't always do what you want to do in the order you want to do it. Yes. Uh, sometimes the spot where you want to go or say you need money and that spot's taken, you have to do something before you get your money. Uh, and that sort of delays how fast you can do your raids, build up your, uh, boat and play your cards, play your cards. Exactly. Cause it's always fun when you're like, okay, I need money and then I can play a card. But the way it's open is you have to play the guy to play the card and then you can take the money. Yeah. So it pushes you back around. Uh, this is one that we have the play mat for and the collector's box, the second collector's box. With uh, both expansions. With both, ex both expansions. We, we should clarify, we only play Raiders of the North Sea with both expansions. Yeah. Uh, the main expansion that... Dad always does a lot more with the quests. Yep. I do a lot more with the Jarls. Yeah. Uh, one of them added Jarls, which added a fame track, and mine added some quests. And mead. And mead. So, uh, Vikings, when they drink, they get stronger. Or they uh, just ignore more wounds. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... Th this is a solid game. Uh, the base game is good. With the expansions, it's excellent. Yeah. There's stuff there for the base game, but yep. the expansions just take it that little step further that gives you more options on what you're doing. 
Yeah, because with the base game, all you're doing is raiding. That's the... Not that that's not what you're doing in the, with the other two, but it, it, it gives more bonuses for doing stuff in the other with, with the other expansions, and it doesn't add any complexity. Mm-hmm. Uh, Plus, I, there's a lot more mismatching with your crew with the blood tokens from the Jarls. For sure. Uh, I teach this to everybody with the expansion, so that's why I say it doesn't add any complexity. Uh, like all of Shem's games, there's tracks you're moving up on, and at the end of the game, you're going to score points for those tracks and some resources. Certain crew members that you'll get, or Jarls. Yeah. There's a lot of different things that give you in-game scoring. A uh, majority of your scoring, I, I would say, comes near the end. Uh, you, you make a big jump. Uh, you're going to yeah. get points as you play for your raids, but... The biggest ones are those end-of-the-game raids, the ones that you're building up for, the fortresses. Yeah. The game ends if all of the Valkyrie tokens are taken. Which are little black tokens that instantly kill a crew member when you take them, but move you up the Valkyrie track. Yeah. Or if five of the six fortresses have been raided. At that point, you add up all your points. Whoever has the most points wins. Yep. Uh, who won this last one? Uh, Shay did. Shay edged out the victory in the last game. By one point. Yeah. I, I've won once. Uh, I don't, I, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm good at this game, but I enjoy this game. Oh yeah. It's one of those games to me that even if I don't win, I have a lot of fun playing. Yeah. It's probably my second I would say it's probably my second favorite after Paladins of his. Uh, I have high hopes for Wayfarers of the South Tigris. It looks very, very interesting. Uh, it closes on Kickstarter tomorrow, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Did you back it? Uh, only on the first day. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Tigris, not Tigris. There's no Tigers in the South. It's Tigris. Uh, so that is Raiders of the North Sea. I'm David. And I'm Jordan. And we'll talk to you next week. Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop segment of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, working with you to make your game nights better. If you've got a gaming or game night situation you could use some help with, send an email off to questions at tabletopbellhop.com, visit our webpage and click on Ask the Bellhop, or hit me up on social media where I can be found everywhere as Tabletop Bellhop One Word. So this past week, we got through two more games of Charterstone, games 10 and 11. Now, game 10 was a bit odd because we failed to guess what the end was going to be and spent a lot of time working on a goal that actually wasn't important at all. Now, that particular game so far is my least favorite of the bunch because it didn't feel like it mattered at all how we did during the game, as the end result was predetermined before we even started play, based on our previous plays. And to me, this is the biggest flop of the campaign so far, and in a way, almost feels a little broken. Now, we did enjoy the actual play. We still love playing Charterstone. It's just the fact that this game didn't really impact the overall plot at all. Now, game 11 was different from this, thankfully, and had some interesting constraints going on, which actually led to the big final reveal, uh, which I predicted pretty early on in the campaign, so I'm a little proud of that. 
Uh, this one was fun. Great. Game 11 was a really good, solid charter stone. Perhaps one of my favorites, because I actually liked playing under the constraints of this one. Now, we've got one game left in our campaign, but it's going to be a bit before we get to it. See, Deanna and I are going on vacation starting tomorrow, and the week after that, Sean's going to be in town. So it's going to be at least three weeks, if not more, before we can get back to Charterstone. Now, speaking of Deanna and I going on vacation, I do want to invite you to join us for our live recording tonight at twitch.tv slash tabletopbellhop, where we go live at 9, and we're going to be talking about the best games to bring with you on a trip. Now, getting back to this past week's gaming goodness, next was a game off my pile of shame called Scurvy Dice. This is a take-that-dice game where players roll custom ship dice and then use those to build their ships using things like crew and cannons, sails, hull, and even pirates. Uh, pirates? Ah, uh, parrots. Sorry, even parrots. Uh, you're then going to play through multiple rounds of cannon fire boarding actions and, of course, treasure looting. And then if you're doing well, you get to bury some of that treasure scoring points. Now, this is a race to 20 points or 10 for a short game and plays up to four players. First up, I gotta say the component quality here is awesome, with unique wooden ships for each player, a cloth treasure map style board, and tons of custom dice. Now, while I did enjoy the shipbuilding rules, and we did have a lot of fun shooting and boarding each other, this game is extremely random, and it doesn't have much in the way of strategy other than basically gang up and gang up on the leader. Stop the stop the leader problem, and that's about it. Now, while we had fun playing this, I can't see this one staying in my collection. It's just not the style of game my group really enjoys. But I gotta say, if you're a fan of Take That Games like Munchkin, you'd probably really dig Scurvy Dice. Now, next up, we got in two more plays of Spell Smashers, uh, finally getting to try it with more than two players, which is an improvement. While this game works fine with just two, it's just better with three or four. There are more monsters to fight, more people hitting those monsters, the initiative system's more interesting. You might even want to play a, a low-value hand or a, a small word just to be able to get in a final blow at the end of the round. Just definitely more interesting. Now, we're overall really digging this mashup of Spelling Game and Dungeon Crawler, and I expect Spell Smashers to continue to see more plays in the coming months. Now, one of those games of Spell Smashers was on Mother's Day, and on that day, we also played a big group game with Space Base, which is a game I'm always impressed by. Now, my only comment on Space Base is to try to use the Lightspeed variant. If you haven't tried this yet, do it right away, and you'll probably be won over just like I am. You want to use this whenever you have experienced players. See, we had a new player on Mother's Day. Um, my mother-in-law, the kid's grandmother, was playing, and had never played before, so we didn't use it, and honestly, I regret it. The buildup at the beginning of Space Base is just a bit too slow at the start. There's too many turns that go around where you get nothing. For a game where you're supposed to be always engaged, I hate when you go around the table and get nothing on anyone else's turn. And you're just sitting there waiting. Using the Lightspeed variant fixes this problem. So if you can, get that to the table right away. Um, another thing I do want to know about playing with a new player, this is the first time we've played with a new player since we finished High Pluto. So I have a bunch of new cards mixed in my deck and I have some new dice and things going on. And I was a little worried about leaving them in, but I didn't want to take the time to sort them out. And I've got to say, you know what? It played fine. Using the new mining rules with Space Space with a new player worked out fine. And it was just the rules were there from the beginning of the game and it didn't feel any different to that new player or make it overly complicated. Now, next up, I got two more games off of my pile of shame, starting with Gunkamono or Gunkimono, Gunkamono, Gunkamono, Gunkamono. I'm thinking it's Gunkamono, but there's an I there, so I don't know. The reason I'm saying Gunkamono is this is an abstract domino style game about the warring states in feudal Japan. 
uh, theme that really doesn't matter all that much, but it does mean the art's kind of cool looking. You get a really awesome Katana first player token. Now, when I read the rules for this, I figured it's going to be either too simple, we'd play it once and then move on, or it was going to be one of those brilliant, quick-playing, abstract games that DNI would fall in love with. And I am very happy to say it's the latter. This is a very well-designed game that plays extremely well, very simple to learn, with tons going on and lots of both tactics and strategy. Every turn, you're playing tiles and choosing for each side of the tile, remember they're dominoes, what you want to do. Do you want to score honor or points? Now, points are scored based on how many orthogonally adjacent matching tiles you just created, whereas honor moves you up on a track, and there's five different tracks for the five different colors. If you get far enough up on that track, you'll get to play strongholds, and these score you points at the end of every round, which is awesome. And you can also get to the top of the tracks and earn more points. I don't want to get into too much more detail because at this point we've played twice. And I will say there's a shining example of how good this game is. We played twice in a row. We don't do that that often on our first plays of games. Overall, I'm really looking forward to trying Gunkonimo, Gunkimono, whatever you call it, with more than two players pretty soon. Now, the second game I got off our Pile of Shame and my last game this week and actually third game total off the Pile of Shame it was a good week for the Pile of Shame was Terror Below from Renegade Games. Now, this game is very obviously based on cult classic horror films like Tremors and Critters and other spinoffs. Now, while this game keeps with the, the loose tongue in cheek theme of these movies, it ends up it's actually a rather solid pick up and deliver game. So it's not all just joking. You're rushing around the desert, avoiding rubble, collecting monster eggs, delivering monster eggs, collecting gear, collecting weapons, and trying not to be in the wrong place when one of the worms attacks. Now, the component quality in this game is fantastic, the theme is fun, and the game plays nice and fast and furious as I would want. But it also has enough tactical depth to keep me interested. So for us, this hits that sweet spot of, yes, light, silly, take that game, but with enough meat there to keep the N and I interested. This is another one I can't wait to try with more than two players. And I think Tori and Kat are going to love it, especially Tori's love of classic uh, horror and comedy horror films. So that's it. That's what I've been playing this past week. Before I go, a reminder, visit tabletopbellhop.com. Join us tonight and every Wednesday night on Twitch for our live podcast recording. And look for us on your podcatcher of choice or YouTube if you can't join us live. For the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I am Mo Tuzano. Good day and game on. Hello. My name is Alex, and I write board game reviews over at MeeplinLemoose.com, and I'm here to tell you what I've been playing this week for What You've Been Playing Wednesdays. This has been another week where I only got one game to the table, but that's okay. My mom is coming to visit for a week, and I'm sure we're going to get a whole bunch of games played while she's here. The game I played this week is Pandemic Rising Tide. I've played a few of the Pandemic series of games over the years. Pandemic The Cure, Pandemic On The Brink, Pandemic Iberia, and Pandemic Fall of Rome and half of Pandemic Legacy Season 1. While I enjoy some more than others, every entry has at least been entertaining and a good experience. One that has been languishing in my closet is Pandemic Rising Tide, designed by Matt Leacock and Jaron Duman. In Pandemic Rising Tide, players are striving to keep the Netherlands from being claimed by the ocean. Players take the role of engineers to an attempt to build modern hydraulic structures in strategic locations to control the flow of water and save the day. 
The salient differences between Pandemic Rising Tide and the original Pandemic game is that in Pandemic Rising Tide, you only have one disease, which is water. And there are only two ways in which the players can lose. If you run out of water cubes, and if the player deck runs out. The other major difference is how the water cubes flow across the land. If any region has three water cubes in it, every adjacent region that is unprotected by a dike gets two water cubes. And further to that, any region adjacent to a region that has two water cubes will then get one water cube, simulating the water flowing across the land. What remains the same is that you're still cooperatively trying to save the day. You're still trying to collect five cards of the same region and then turn them in to progress the victory conditions. Players still get four actions each turn and then draw two cards from the player deck, which may include storm cards, and then turn over a number of cards from the region deck that dictates where bad things are happening. When a storm card is drawn, you take the card from the bottom of the region deck, make it catastrophically bad, and then shuffle the region discard pile together and place it on top of the region deck. I played Pandemic Rising Tide solo, controlling three characters. At first, everything seemed to be going very well. Sure, my dikes were breaking in the southwest corner of the board, but that was inland. I focused all my efforts in the north, building several ports, which allow players to move from any location to a port for a single action, and pumping stations, which automatic automatically removes one cube of water before you draw any cards. Some water spilled over the land via the Zunderzee, but my three characters stemmed the tide in Nordutsbudlir. I apologize to any Dutch listeners, my... I cannot pronounce these names. Uh, but we rebuilt the dikes, and we even managed to build one of the major construction projects. Only three more to go and I would win. Then a storm came, the tide rose, and a dike bordering the ocean at the south of the board snapped and water flooded the entire southern region. Within just a few turns, I ran completely out of water cubes and lost the game. Pandemic Rising Tide offers an interesting twist to the pandemic formula. Now that there's only one disease to fight, it's really easy to run out of cubes. In every other game, one of the major focuses is to clear the board of cubes. I didn't realize just how important the dikes were to stemming the flow of water across the land. I'm excited to play Pandemic Rising Tide again. I really enjoy the unique take on the Pandemic game. In fact, I find it hard to go back to base Pandemic when Rising Tide and Fall of Rome exist. They just feel so much more flavorful that I find myself drawn to those boxes first. And that's all I played this week. If you want to hear more of my thoughts on board games, check out my reviews over at MeepleTheMoose.com and follow me on Twitter at MooseMeeple. Have a happy Wednesday. Hey everybody, this is Norm from the Bridge City Board Gamers community here in Saskatoon and the Cardboard Conjecture podcast. And let's have a look. It's that time. Let's have a look to see what the Bridge City Board Gamers community has been playing. And uh, let's start off with Mike. Uh, Mike says, got my Marvel United Kickstarter, so had to play that a pile. And uh, it, like five times already. So yes, Ryan talked to me as well uh, just last night about... Uh, the fridge boxes <laughs> that he got with that Kickstarter coming in. So, yay. Uh, Eli, uh, more unmatched. Love the new Marvel sets. And Final Girl, cool. Final Girl, that's uh, that's Van Ryder Games. Same kind of engine as a Hostage Negotiator. So if you like that card drafting, uh, action selection, dice rolling kind of thing, push your luck, uh, intensity, yeah, you will dig it. Uh, Jonathan, 
Gaia Project, yay. Reef, click clack lumberjack. Oh, I saw that one, that one looks pretty cool. Uh, there, there must be some youngins in the house. Um, Gaia, well, or, uh, you know, uh, range of choice. There's Gaia Project all the way to click clack lumberjack. That's a very great range. And Reef, I understand, is a pretty cool um, uh, uh, abstract game. So nice, nice, very cool. Hans, I'll get you one guess what the first one is. It's Terraforming Mars. Uh, and then Alma Mater. I've heard really cool things about that. Uh, I think it's like a dice drafting thing or dice placement. Uh, uh, Hippocrates. I don't I've never heard of that one. Hmm. Curious. Uh, let's see. Ryan has a quick run through. Well, he's just put out a uh, review. Uh, so it makes sense. Meadow and Gorinto uh, and uh, Targi Marvel Champions, the card game. Yeah, he digs the Marvel Champions. Uh, Gorinto, he's talked about that one. It's such a cool abstract game. Uh, said it reminds him of Shobu, and I absolutely love Shobu. It's one of those, uh, um, I don't even want, it, it's, a, it's a short time game, but man, oh man, are you thinking. I've equated it, I, I've equated Shobu to uh, sumo checkers. <laughs> so yeah, that's, and you know, just from my own point of view. Shane got in the first three plays of Clank Legacy, had a blast. Yes, which reminds me, we need to finish our game. Clank Legacy. We're on game 10, I think. Uh, Dan, yesterday my game club played Fangs, which is a re-implementation of Shadowhunters. It's a great social deduction game that plays up to eight people. Ooh, cool. Cool. That sounds, I've not heard of that, but uh, I, I guess it's, I mean, Shadowhunters, Fangs, I think there's some uh, werewolf stuffy king or vi uh, vampire thing going on there. Fangs, Gonna go with the vampire stuff. Uh, Jeff, Ecos, Rococo, and Dune Imperium. All stellar titles. Uh, played a lot of Rococo lately. And uh, yeah, that's a great game. Fantastic game. Uh, I mean, and Ecos and Dune Imperium. No slouches easier e either. Uh, Dune Imperium, uh, same people that did Clank. So if you like Clank, you'll like this card drafting game. Uh, let's see. Matt played... Uh, Bosak, Diamant, Dixit, Palace, Stickem, and Turfmaster. Right on. I have, I haven't Bos, uh, Bosak. I haven't never heard. I've never heard of that one. I'm gonna have to look that one up. Cool. Tim, looks like Tim be playing some Wingspan, and uh, yeah. Oh man, that's such a gorgeous game. Beth Sobel did the art on it, and I've often referred to it as like Audubon Society level art. So. Yay! I'm gonna. Oh, I'm gonna have to maybe uh, do a do a, a solo um, let's play uh, because I, I mean, and I have this uh, let's play YouTube uh, on on the cardboard conjecture YouTube channel. I have this uh, show called Let's Play, and honestly, it's just an excuse for me to play a game and stick to it until I finish it and not abandon it. <laughs> so yes, Wingspan. Ah, yes, awesome game. Paul, see, I got off on a tangent there. Um, Paul, unmatched, picture perfect, Hadrian's Wall, Mystic Veil. Nice, nice, unmatched. The fantastic game. Um, Hadrian's Wall, I'm waiting for, uh, for uh, Dave to bring his copy over uh, to Gamer's Garage and so we can play. Are you listening, Dave? Yes. Whatcha? 
been playing Wednesday. Uh, cool. Well, that's what the Bridge City Board Gamers community has been playing. So, yay. I'm, I'm inspired to, uh, like I said, I'm inspired to get some Wingspan out and do some recording. So, fantastic. Well, let me talk about uh, the whatcha in the part of what you've been playing Wednesday for uh, myself. Um, I'm going to quickly talk, uh, talk about a couple things and then focus on um, and finish off with uh, with uh, an awesome. I mean, board gaming is all about the social experience and and having that uh, having people, people, real people in front of you. So um, uh, let's back up a bit. Um, I have an ongoing D and D campaign uh with uh one weekly and one once a month and my weekly group uh we're playing tome of annihilation and uh i'm dm and uh it's for me the point of view for this is it's not a competition it's not a me versus them it's a collaborative storytelling event and uh the the group if you want to go back i forget what episode is it but uh, i talked I, I invited my uh, my gaming group from the '90s, right? The, I, can you count that far back? And uh, so, yeah, we're doing Tome of Annihilation, and uh, it's uh, it's so much fun because <laughs> I think right now we're off script because that's just the way the story went. And uh, so I'm kind of bringing them back into the we're we're now on the edge of the lost city, and they're they're coming into Act Three of this. No, wait, Act Two. Because there's gonna that's Act Two is the dark one. That's everything goes bad, and it's gonna go bad. <laughs> but you know, you know, narrative. Um, so we that I have so much fun with those guys. Um, uh, and then of course got distracted with a little bit of woodworking and um, um, made a small batch set of uh, what I'm calling the rattlesnake dice case. And uh, yeah, it's basically for your set your D and D set of dice or. Pathfinder or whatever RPG that has, you know, a set of dice. And uh, so, yeah, it, it makes it, you shake it. It makes a little rattlesnake sound. Clever. No, not clever. First thing I thought of. Yay. Um, so, uh, yeah, if you want, I put some pictures on Twitter, I believe, and um, kind of like little docu-miniseries of the evolution of it. <laughs> don't don't even it's 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 like watching paint dry um uh but i want to talk about two games one quick game here that uh anytime i can find a game that my wife likes because her hobby's reading books and uh so when i when i present a game um to like a new game first of all a new game she she likes to not have the breadth of gaming selection um but the depth and uh, she likes to learn a couple games and then get really good at them. And, uh, and she likes the set collecting. So we played Canvas. And Canvas is on that idea where you're building a painting. And, the, and I don't want to say gimmicky, but the cool part is they have acetate uh, sleeves. Uh, um, like acetate cards, that see-through cards with an with a image on it. And then on the bottom you have five categories, which are your color swatches. And they represent... Uh, four different um, symbols, right? And I think it's hue, color, tone, texture, something like that. And uh, ultimately what you do on your turn is you either take a one of these see-through cards off the market or you build a painting. And uh, once you have five of these see-through cards in your hand, you must build a painting. And to build a painting, you take three of these cards, you overlay them, put them in this very cool card sleeve that has a background, 
And uh, in the process of putting one card over the other, you you have uh, on the card there's uh, uh, either a word in the front or word in the like a, a word in the front or word in the back on the card, so that when you put them together, it creates a, a, a painting title, and then underneath is where the cool stuff happens. That's where you all these symbols that represent your painting of a lot of texture, not that much color, but you know a lot of uh, um, continuity, and these things. Those words that I'm mentioning in regards to what you're looking at are the four categories of judgment in, in regards to getting ribbons for these images. So you, you're trying to target four different, I guess, rule sets or payout sets for victory points. Because ultimately, at the end, whoever has the best sets of paintings and has, has the most groups of ribbons, because it's kind of a set collecting thing, um, and uh, wins the game. And as I said, these four... Uh, game criteria of, of what gets you points. In that point scoring system, at the end, there is the evaluation of, okay, how many of these red ribbons did you get? Here is a point value. How many of these blue ribbons did you get? Here's another point value. So there's a, there's a really cool scoring to it. And um, I got to say that this game has my brain in a knot sometimes when it comes to uh, creating the most point uh, uh, resulting combination and layering when you uh, when you build these paintings it's it's just making my my I'm having like a Jackson Pollock explosion uh, at the back of my head every time I just sit and go I, I can't process this right now it hurts but uh, no and don't take that the wrong way this game's awesome I'm having so much fun with this game and it's solos. So yeah, that was Canvas. And um, so I want to finish off with the awesomest uh, uh, highlight of the week is Ryan finally got to come over to Gamers Garage and we had a two-player game of Genties and, uh, or Genties. And um, it is, now wait, wait, I don't think we've heard of this kind of game before. It is a, a civilization game based in the Mediterranean, right? Who... Who would have even thought of that? Um, <laughs> but uh, it is fantastic. Spielworks. And I can't remember offhand. Oh, here it is right in front of me. Um, this is designed by Stefan Risthaus. And it is uh, published by Spielworks. And I love me some Spielworks. Uh, solid, brainy games. Great depth to uh, every title that I've played from them. And uh, it's a it's a great cognitive challenge in their games to decipher what is the most beneficial or or kind of like of course again euro games victory points yes that's how you win and uh so there's there's a, such a clever card system because you you have a, a, like a card drafting market in regards to certain civilization crescendos or powers or movements or concepts that you have to play in front of you that correlate with a resource based on your civilization, individuals in your civilizations, the roles of them, right? Um, and of course, ultimately speaking, your actions are based on the action you choose and the time it takes to perform that action. And uh, it, little hourglasses that occupy this, uh, this kind of uh, from left to right growing 
uh, timeline that gets occupied with all of these things that you're trying to do in that round. Uh, I, uh, how shall we say, um, what is the, what is the uh, uh, modern term for um, sucked very badly at <laughs> this game? I haven't played it in so long, I kind of, by the time I got to halfway through, I kind of went, oh yeah, I remember this game, and then looked at what I had going on and went, and there's no way I can recover from the bad choices I've made already. But that being said, for me to absolutely have a, such a phenomenal time, I mean, got to say the company there, that was Cardboard for the Soul. And uh, so, yeah, this game, if you've never played it, have try to find a copy. Now, it's a, um, it, it was brought to North America through TMG, and they are now defunct. So if you see a copy on the shelf and you think that this is an interesting game that you, yeah, grab it because I don't think it's going to be, um, be, I don't think it's going to be uh, picked up to, well, somebody should, Capstone should pick this up. Somebody should pick it up. Um, so yeah, that's basically what I've been doing. And uh, so we're at that point where I have to say thank you so much to uh, the, the listeners who take the time to um, you know, get influenced and uh, go shopping afterwards uh, on your phone in the basket, in the basket. Um, so uh, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to what we have to say. And always thank you to the content creators who provide fantastic games for me to, you know, spend my money on. And with that being said, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, right? Eh?